0: Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Brock Meyer. Pastor Andrew, he handled a very difficult text last week in Titus chapter 2. And as he was talking about um, servants and how they respond and how they yield to the Lord and they yield to um, the people that they're underneath, and I thought he did a beautiful job um, and just want to say that uh, publicly, man, I just thought that he, he handled that well. So as far as um, Titus, we've been here for two months. We're in chapter two, and guess what? We're going to finish chapter two this morning. We have 11 minutes I don't know that I I might go a little bit longer than 11 minutes, but um, we've had a full service already. Um, Titus chapter 2, here's what we've learned. Titus chapter 2, well, the whole book, it's it's a leadership book. It's written by the second greatest leader that we see in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, second only to Jesus Christ. He's writing this as a leader to a leader, Titus, who's leading the church in Crete, Greece, the, lead, the, the letter is how to raise up elders and leaders in the church. And so, so much of it has to do with development. It's a, it's a development sort of a, of a letter. And then he starts writing individualized, not only to elders, but to the old men, to the young men, to the older women. And we see kind of, then he writes even to servants, how we ought to respond, what should be going on inside of our hearts. He's really trying to develop the church Of Crete to grow in their relationships with one another and in their uh, encounters with the Lord. And so Paul then he wraps chapter two with this exhortation, and we're gonna try to finish this here today. So hold on tight, all right? Because this last little bit of Titus chapter two opens Pandora's box to so much deeper theology as it comes to salvation and persevere the perseverance of the saints ultimately to glorification that one day we will see the Lord. And so let's kind of unpack this here a little bit, okay? So Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself, a people that are his very own, eager. To do what is good. Okay, so there's a lot going on here as we're talking about salvation, preserving a people unto the Lord. That one day we will see Him. He will preserve us from wickedness. He will keep us from wickedness. He will uh, glorify us. So there's a lot of things happening here. So I want us to, to to be aware of some of these some of these words. Okay, so the glorification. The, the preservation or the perseverance, um, the preserving, uh, the changing of the heart from worldly passions to having a passion of the Lord, we would call that, um, uh, uh, we, we would call it something, um, <laughs> we would call it conversion, where our hearts are shifted Um And then there's this clinging and this waiting for this blessed hope, okay, and the the appearing of the glory of God. So there's a lot of things happening here. So I want to first, before we go to eventually we end up in heaven, okay, I want to bring it back here first to a beginning place, okay? So, So the beginning place would be we are created for the glory of God, that God made us and he called it good, and we were designed to be good. We were designed to be like God. Something happened in the garden where it all got hijacked and the snake slithered in and he, and he hijacked what was good and he deceived Adam and Eve. With one man's sin, all men then went into sin. Because of Adam's sin, we now all have been born into sin. Sin happened at the core, at at the root. It was a radical move that happened. The word radical means to the core. Okay, so sin is not something that happens outside of me. It doesn't happen out here. Sin doesn't happen just in the city that I was in this last week, New Orleans, okay? It doesn't just happen in New Orleans. It doesn't just happen in Las Vegas. It happens within me. Okay, it's in my very core. My heart, the Bible says, is desperately wicked above all things. Who can even trust it or understand it? It is at opposition from God. Ephesians chapter 2 would say it this way, would say that we are natures of sin, that we are the object of God's wrath, that we are far from God, and that we are aliens to the covenant of God. So we have this massive chasm. That's happened between us and our our relationship with God. Who can save us? Isaiah chapter 41 says that our eyes have been plastered over to where we cannot see. And so now we're in this deep state to where our hearts are dead. Our eyes are plastered over. We we are without hope and we're without God. And yet somehow we're supposed to find God. You ever hear somebody's like, hey, I, I found religion or I found Jesus. You cannot find Jesus. You cannot find God. You cannot find religion. Blind people are not good at finding things. And dead people are not good at responding to things. Dead people can't say yes to the Lord. And so we really have to first come into grips if this is going to happen in Titus chapter 2, where we're going we're to behold him and we're going to see him in all of his glory, this blessed hope something has to happen between our dead state and us responding coming fully alive. Y'all with me? A plus B equals C. Like, like a dead person isn't good at really anything, okay? They're not, you don't want them on your, on your softball team. You don't want to have them on your basketball team. They're not good at shooting layups. They definitely can't make good, righteous, sound, godly decisions. They can't do it. And so we kind of have some, some phrases that we, that we've Accepted into Christendom, but that we really don't see in the Bible. And it's this idea of like free will, I found God, things like this. The only time where we see free will in the Bible is a free will offering that we would bring to the Lord. But even in that, it's people who already love the Lord. Their will has been freed, their will has been liberated. Our wills are enslaved, we are slaves to sin. And we are desperately wicked and we're cut off from God. So we're in a pretty bad spot. And so we're not free. A slave man would not identify as free. Okay, so we can't call ourselves free or that we're alive or that we found anything. And so we're radical to the core. Check out this Bible verse here. Um, No one is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. That's pretty all inclusive. All have turned away. They have all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, who's pumped you came to church this morning to hear this? Like, yeah, make me feel good about myself, Pastor. Let's keep going here. The Bible declares all have sinned and they fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans chapter 3. Or how about in Romans 2, verse 1, it says that all men are without excuse for their sin. Isaiah, he observes this. From the top of our heads to the soles of our feet, there is no soundness in man. In other words, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he writes, nothing good dwells within us in Romans chapter 7. Or Proverbs 21, even the plowing of the wicked is like sin. Even you just go into work. Showing up, seemingly doing something good, providing for your family. Anything done outside of faith is sin. So there's this doctrine of total depravity. Not utter depravity, like we can't actually be redeemed, but totally, to the core, to the root of who we are, it is depraved, it's, it's wicked, it's cut off from the Lord. The classic Westminster Confession states this, man by his fall into a state of sin, hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. Let's break this down a little bit. You can't do it. You, in and of yourself, you're not smart enough, you're not, you're not tricky enough, you can't really come to really good ideas to where now you've stumbled onto the beauty and the majesty of, of God. You can't do that without, first, a heart that's been awakened, a heart that's been kissed by heaven, this thing that's been dead, and it's like the Holy Spirit defibrillator comes in and goes, Boom! And your heart goes, whoa, and then he rips the veil off of your eyes, and then you see him, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> yes, and then you respond back with a yes, once he has sovereignly ripped the, the, the blindfold off of your eyes. Dead people can't take things off their eyes. You can't grab the, the Holy Spirit defibrillator and say, I know what this thing does, and then you start doing it on yourself. Man cannot help himself into salvation. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes and he's like, what do I got to do to be saved? And what's what's this whole thing? And Jesus responds, the spirit will blow wherever he will. He'll he'll do it. It's the Holy Spirit that will do this thing. And you can't do it, Nicodemus. You can't do it. So we have this enslaved will that the Bible talks about here in John chapter 6, verse 44. It says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me first draws him. Proverbs 21.10 talks about the, the will being enslaved. It says, The wicked man craves evil and drinks it up like water. Ephesians 2.3, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying our cravings for our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature the objects of God's wrath. Here's the deal as far as us trying to find God. Michael Horton says this, He says, man can't find God the same way that a criminal can't find a police officer. (laughs) Because you're not looking for a police officer. You're running from a police officer. You're not trying to hunt down a police officer saying, hey, I'm wicked. I've I've been doing all kinds of bad things. I'm looking for you. You love sin, drinking it, chugging it like water. We love it. And want nothing to do with God. And usually nothing to do with the people of God because you make me maybe feel a little bit, you know, bad about my life. I want to resist all of that stuff. I don't want anybody holier than thou coming up in here. So then we come into this verse in Titus chapter 1, right out of the gate, right out of the gate. I know this is probably like my last slide, Kai, and I'm sorry that I'm like pulling a little U-turn. It's probably like the the third to last slide. Look at Titus chapter 1. Dude, you baller. Check this out. Okay, so he uses some words that we skipped over to begin with because I didn't realize that I was going to spend a whole year in Titus. (laughs) Paul, he's introducing himself, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect. Ugh, that makes me so uncomfortable. And their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness will keep going. In the hope of eternal life, to which God, he does not lie. And he promised this even before time, the beginning of time, or the Bible would say, The the, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was slain before the foundations of the earth. Even before this whole plan was rolled out, he already had slain the Lamb for the sacrifice. And which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of our God and Savior. There's a lot of language here that really smells like the sovereignty of God. That's totally disconnected from man being able to do much of, of anything at all. Dwight, I appreciate you laughing because you know how hard this is for me to stand up here. And I'm just trying to preach the gospel just according to what the Bible says. You guys, you guys Anybody know what the word elect means? Okay, I'll help you. When we elect a president, when we elect a mayor, when we elect certain officials... It means that they were picked. It means that we selected. How many presidents do we have at one time? One. How many run? A lot. Not every one of them were picked. There's a certain elect that the Apostle Paul is writing to Titus about. And it's interesting because he's saying to God's elect... He's wanting to bring them into this saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and at an appointed season, then he will reveal and, and engage and have this relationship with them. And so I'm trying to preach the gospel to you is, is what he says, and mm, 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 mm. So let's break down this idea of, of an elect, of an election, maybe. Clearly, God has a passion. This is from, and I'll pull out some resources here. Here's a couple just light reads that I've uh, been working with. Number one is the Bible, but then a couple of books that help frame up these scriptures. Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. The guy's an absolute egghead. He's a stud muffin, okay? John Piper, The Pleasures of God, second only to the Bible. This is my all-time favorite book, okay? This is coming out of... The pleasures of God, okay? So I'm going to try to paint a picture. We have God and all of his beauty and all of his glory and all of his holiness. Okay, so we have clearly God has a passion to promote his own glory. But the troubling thing that emerges is that God has chosen sinners. So here's the sinner crew. Mainly over here, the sinners. (laughs) West Wingers, man. So he is honoring. So here's God. He's going to honor and bless and exalt a people who are sinners. And the essence of sin is the belittling of God's glory. A God infinitely committed to promote the worth and the greatness of his glory is engaging all of his powers... To bring the enemies of his name into this everlasting joy and honor. So the troubling thing is is that God is so enthusiastic about adopting and exalting a people whose sinfulness is actually a blight on his name. It seems schizophrenic. The Bible makes God out to love his name and his glory With omnipotent energy and unbounded joy. And then it pictures him choosing God-belittling sinners for his court. And rejoicing over the very people who have despised his glory and they've cheapened his name. Redemptive history is the symphony of these two great themes the theme of God's passion to promote his glory, and the theme of God's inscrutable electing love for sinners who have scorned that very glory. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the resolution of the redemption of the symphony history. In the death of Jesus, the two themes of God's love for his glory... And his love for sinners is resolved. God's pleasure in his name and his pleasure in doing good to sinners meet and marry in his pleasure in bruising the Son of God. This is a picture, is it not? Now let me ask you this about the word of electing love. How many in here based upon the life that you have lived, you would consider yourself, the life that I lived, I am worthy to be saved by the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Don't raise your hand. I don't want anybody to be embarrassed. Based upon what you have done, the life that you have lived, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm worthy of that. I would say for me in my life, the way that I have lived, I am worthy of God's judgment and justice rendered fully on my life, that I am due the penalty. The wages of my sin is death, and I deserve hell. And God would be completely just in sending everyone there. Hard stop. In his justice, sitting in the courtroom, that should be the punishment. Yet, he operates in this grace where he chooses to save some, an election. It's crazy. You know, whenever I picked Alyssa, nobody's mad that I picked one wife, especially ex-girlfriends. They're like, you can have him. They're not mad about that. And Jesus picks a wife. He chooses this bride. And he's gracious in that he has saved some to be the bride of Christ. Because the reality isn't I wish that all were saved. The reality is, is that they're not. And what do we do in that tension point? Please feel the tension that I'm feeling this morning because this is really tough to talk about. Is we believe that the grace is big enough to cover all men. Yet it seems like some hearts have just been so shut off to responding to God with kissing back and saying yes to the Lord. So either they're stronger than the grace of God or perhaps the grace of God was not intended to go all the way there. Let's keep unpacking this thing. Let's keep unpacking it. This idea of this grace of God. Sin is sovereign, Charles Spurgeon said, until sovereign grace dethrones it. Sin is running rampant. We are slaves to sin unless grace comes and dethrones it. And again, I cannot work up grace. Grace has to sovereignly come to me. If we all agree that we're dead in our sins, then I can't do anything to cause myself to come alive. So if I've come alive, it's only by the supernatural awakening of the Holy Spirit. The perseverance of the saints means this, that all of those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and they will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those that persevere to the end have truly been born again. Or in other words, if you have saving faith, you won't lose it. And if you lose it, perhaps we never had it. If we fall for a season it may be just a season but it doesn't always mean that we have fully or finally fallen away let's talk about the perseverance of the saints i'm going to go scripture after scripture kai I have a hot finger Are you ready people don't know if they like me right now and they're ready for fried chicken so we got to move john chapter 6 for i have come down from heaven this is jesus talking you can crucify him again if you want this is jesus Not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me. That I shall lose none of all that he has given me. But raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up in the last day. Keep going. John 10. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. That sounds really secure. When Jesus says something, I'm going to bank on it. I'm going to bank my entire life and I'm going to wrap my entire theology around it. Jesus says, God has saved them. He's given them to me. They're in my hand. I won't lose a single one of them that He has given to me. Whew. That gives me a lot of security. That gives me a lot of hope. Ephesians 1. And you. Also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Boom! You are stamped with the power and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit and it's guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Whew. I just want to worship right now. I want to tell you I'm close to tears. I love that this thing is bankable, man. We can trust this thing. Ephesians 1. Or I'm sorry, Philippians 1. Being confident in this that he who began that work in you He will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. And then this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish. It never spoils and it never fades. And it's kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready and it will be revealed in the last time. Come on, praise be to God. Guys, if we're, if we're in this thing, We know that I am his and he is mine. He will see me through. He has picked me. He has chosen me. He has put his affection upon me. He has caused my heart to come alive to me. He's committed to my my journey. He's going to walk me through all the pain. It's sealed. It's stamped. It's preserved and it's kept. And he will not lose me in his hand. And I will see him. And it is a promise that's sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am his and he is mine. It's the perseverance of the saints, not even of our own doing. He will power us through to the end. The scriptures repeatedly, they teach this, perseverance until the end to receive eternal life. Check out this, John chapter 8. To the Jews that believed in him, Jesus says, if you hold on to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, the truth that will set you free. Matthew 10 all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end, he will be saved. Colossians chapter 1, but now he who has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. I don't know about you, but I've got a lot of blemishes. I could be accused of a lot of things. I could stand in the courtroom of heaven and he could lay out the, 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 the whole play of my life, and I would be condemned time and time again. Yet, he says, he brings me here, and I'm without a blemish, and I have no accusations against me because of the work of Jesus Christ. The physical body through the death, he's presented you holy. Verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope that's held in the gospel... This is the gospel that you heard that's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, I have become a servant. Hebrews 3 14. We have come to share in Christ, and if we hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. Guys, I'm going to wrap with this. This is what we call in just theology the unbreakable chain. Okay, this is the unbreakable chain of of Romans chapter 8. And he's going to lay a bunch of if this happens, then this happens, then this happens, this this happens. It's the cause and effect. So a God who is is infinitely in love with his own glory is redeeming us as sinners. And here is the unbreakable chain that's ultimately going to lead us to heaven and to the glorification. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things... God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We all like that. We write it on graduation cards. We send it on when people get married. Let's dive into a little bit deeper theology when we come to verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those that he predestined He called, and those that he called, he justified, and those that he justified, he glorified. Let's play this out. Foreknowledge means you know before time. Okay, so he knows before time. Some people might say, well, foreknowledge is just God knew that I was going to pick him, so he picked me before I picked him, and so we're just picking who picked first. Mm -mm. He knew before time, foreknowledge. Then he predestined. Predestined means this. Let's break this word down. Predetermined. Before he even knew what was going to happen. Or he knew what was going to happen. Then he, then he predetermined that these things. And then from there he calls. From, from calls he justifies. From justifies he glorifies. Here's this unbreakable chain that he lays out here in his scriptures. Let's, let's read Romans chapter. 11, this interpretation, uh, I'm sorry, where am I at? Uh, Ephesians 1, asking who are called, who are called by God. God's uh, call is the ultimate purpose of bringing his son into glory. He wants to call us to bring us ultimately into becoming conformed to the image of his Son. Justification. The justification by faith ensures our final glorification, meaning that we arrive in heaven. Matthew 13, verse 43. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is so good. And I'll, I was going to wrap. I'm going to say one more thing. John Piper, he writes this. Of all of God's work... His choosing you, predestining you, calling you, justifying you, sanctifying you, bringing you to final glory is designed by God, not mainly to make much of us, but to free us and then to fit us to enjoy making much of him forever. He has not set us free because you're awesome or because you gave a good tithe or because you had good church attendance. He freed us, and then he fits us so that we can make much of him forever. So here's the conclusion. Titus writes this in Titus chapter two. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It doesn't say that it saves all, but it does offer. This is an offering to everyone. He who has ears, man, if you've got the ears, then hear and respond and obey. It teaches us. Then, now that I've been awakened, now I have this will that can choose, and I, and I say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. But instead, I want to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while I wait for this blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he gave himself to redeem us from all of the wickedness, to purify himself a people that are his very own, And they're eager to do what is good. Man, does Titus get wrapped up in a powerful bow of chapter 2 with some massive theology about how God loves you and set his affection upon you, caused your heart to come alive and to respond where we say yes to righteousness, no to ungodliness. And we want to give our lives fully to this. If those are the decisions that you've made, I want to encourage you, heaven, is waiting heaven is our reward we will be in this blessed hope for all of eternity if you haven't ever made that response today is the day if something's going on inside of you i just want to say the wind is probably moving the wind perhaps is blowing on the spirit of your heart and just as there's a little tingles it means that you're probably awakening to something and the response should be yes jesus As we close here this morning, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if anybody would be in agreement with me, maybe you've prayed this prayer 20 times, great, then let's just create an environment and a culture of a lot of faith agreeing with this statement. Perhaps you've never prayed a prayer like this, and this is your first time, but you're feeling something. Perhaps God is doing something inside of your heart, and you're feeling that wind awakening inside of you, and I want to pray this prayer together. Church family, would you stand with me as we close this morning? just repeat this with me. Dear Jesus, I confess I am a sinner. I am without hope aside from you. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Change my life. Dear Jesus, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if this is the first time you've prayed that prayer, this is step one of a million steps. Please talk to me. Talk to Pastor Andrew on your way out because we want to help you become more conformed to the image of the Son of God. Amen? Amen. So we're so glad that you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.